Thank you for downloading and listening to the Berean Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Berean Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. This building, as I mentioned last week, has a lot of uh, wonderful memories for me, and um, a lot of variety of memories, everything from sports to banquets to... Uh, wedding reception, mine and my kids, and one of the memories I have is a little bit different one. Some years ago, uh, we had that electrical problem up there with the lights, and we were trying to solve it. We, as in Dwayne and some of the others that know what they're doing, I just happened to be in here, and so we had to go up. I think it was that that one up there, the, the, the high one in, in the, up on that side, right above that beam, a laminated beam, and we had to get up there. And so I said, well, I'll go up there because um, we can't lose Dwayne. He does all electrical here. You know, I'm just the pastor. You know? so, so, but we had a 40-foot extension ladder, and I painted my way through graduate school with Fred Olson, so I don't mind going up ladders. So we put, I, I, we put the ladder up there against the ceiling, and I went up that ladder to, to check out the, the ballast or something in that light up there. Um, the, the trick is when you're in something like this is you just don't look down because there's nothing you know against here, you know. So I went up the ladder. I was doing something, whatever Dwayne was telling me to do up there inside the, the fixture. And I had my hand inside there where the wires were. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> and all of a sudden it occurred to me, uh, I hope those guys turn those off. <laughs> you know, the switch is over there in the wall. Bill Weber is standing there by the wall. What? <laughs> I, I was hoping you weren't here, but boy, I don't have much confidence in you, Bill. <laughs> he was in charge of the light switch. Oh, no. And I, so I, I went down and I said, Bill, that switch is off, right? And you know what he said? I don't know. Let me check. <laughs> well, it was off. He knew it was off. You know, I could trust Bill. He, he, he knows what he's doing. And uh, it was off, and uh, whatever had to be done was done, and we fixed it. So this morning, as we continue our study from the life of Elijah, we're going to look at uh, somebody who really had to depend on uh, God in a very uncertain time and depend that what the prophet said he really meant and was really true. I'd like you to open your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 17. As I mentioned last week, we're, doing a, we're going to just do a series this month and into September, from the life of Elijah, and a little bit of Elisha as well. A very important time in Israel's history, a time which I suggested to you, um, I I see three times in Bible history of particularly uh, an important time of decision for Israel, God's people. They're either going to do what God says, or they're not going to do it. And God uses uh, miracles and signs for his people to convince them that the message is true that is being given. The first time is the time, I think, of Moses, where you see this, again, this explosion of miracles and signs that leading him out, the contest with Pharaoh and all the miracles that took place as they had to decide to follow Moses or not to the promised land. The third time, I believe, is the time of the Gospels. When Jesus did all those miracles and signs, the intent was never just to do miracles and signs. It was a, the intent 
was to validate the message the Messiah was here. And likewise, the apostles in the early part of Acts, when they were doing things like raising the dead and healing people and all these signs and miracles, uh, getting out of jail in an earthquake and these things, it was the same thing. It's time to respond. It's decision time. The one in the middle, I believe, is this time of Elijah and Elisha, where you see this explosion of, of signs and miracles. It's a very critical time in Israel's history. So let's pray as we open God's word. Heavenly Father, as we do open your word this morning, again, as always, it's our prayer that your word would be heard. Uh, Nothing would get in the way of that. And uh, we know, Lord, we bring many uh, concerns and thoughts and uh, things going on in our lives into the service today. And we just pray for the next few moments you'll enable us to just, just focus on your word as we have worshiped in song and scripture. We worship now in your word and we ask you to bless it to our hearts, and to our lives in the week to come. In Christ's name, amen. 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1, Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Galilee said to Ahab, Gilead, said to Ahab, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. And this is where we began last week. And we talked about uh, Elijah and this contest, what we are moving toward, the apex, the climax, the critical point, is going to be this contest at Mount Carmel with Baal's uh, prophets and priestesses. Israel is uh, serving Baal and Ashtra. Baal, as I mentioned last week, is sort of a generic name for um, that is all the different groups in the Middle East had their Baals, but it was the god of fertility, especially the god of fertility on the land. Of the, he was the God that rode in the storms and the clouds and provided the rain. And so Israel, and I also want you to remember that Israel is practicing syncretism. Uh, think of the old transmissions as synchromatics, you know, to sync them together. And the idea is that Israel is not so much just completely eliminated Yahweh, the God of Israel, from their life, but they have simply included him with all the other gods, the Baals, the Astras, the Dagons, you name it. He was just one of many gods. And so because of that, uh, it's time for them to decide. Are you going to serve all these gods or are you going to serve the one true God? And this is the story behind the stories in Kings as we consider this. And so Elijah, as we saw in James chapter 5, he prays that it will not rain. Of course, he's led by God. God puts this on his heart. Because Baal is the god of rain and thunder. And so the contest is going to be who really provides the rain. If Baal is the one who provides it, then he could certainly provide it. So for three and a half years, we find it doesn't rain. And there's a drought in the land. Not only a drought, but there's famine. And people are struggling. And and, and Elijah has no food. And we saw last week how God fed him at at the brook Kareth. And then in verse 7... We read that sometime later, after he has been fed by the ravens, the food and the waters from the brook Kareth, in verse 7, sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. So Elijah is suffering along with everybody else. Okay. Then the word of the Lord came to him. Go at once to Zarephath of Sidon and stay there. I have commanded a widow in that place to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath, and when he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. 
He called to her and asked her, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called out and bring me a piece of bread as well. Now, in this story here, again, the story kind of behind the story is that Elijah is where he is, where he goes. He leaves Israel. This is, he, he is a prophet to the northern ten tribes, which is called Israel. Israel's is north. Judah is the south. Ten tribes in the north, two tribes in the south. They have, each have their own kings. They each have their own prophets to, to some degree. Uh, but they still have the same word of God. They are still God's people. And he is called out of Israel to an area that we would call today Lebanon, up an area of called up towards Sidon or Sidon, up toward the coast of Lebanon. And so what we see here is the prophet is, is taken out of his land to a, to a foreign land, to the Gentile land. Not only that, but this particular place where he is called to go, Zarephath, is the home of Jezebel. Jezebel is the wife of the king of Israel. He has married Jezebel. And Jezebel is one of the ringleaders in helping to establish Baal worship of her Baal in Israel. This is her hometown. This is where her father is a leader, I think a priest up there in Zarephath. So this, this is behind the story. You need to know that, that, that he has taken to the very heart and center of the particular Baal worship that Israel is practicing. So he goes up to this place. And I also want you to notice that um, it's, it's, he's a man of obedience. And what I want you to take from this first, first part of the story is Elijah. Elijah is a man of obedience and a man of faith. It, it says here in, in, that we read here, the verse 8, the word of the Lord came to him and said, Go at once. Go at once. Go at once to the heart of Baal's territory, to Jezebel's home. Um, Elijah is the man who has prayed that it would not rain. And this is not a secret, because we're going to see in the, in the ensuing chapters that the king is looking for him. I think it is known that Elijah is the one, because we're going to see later on, he says, you're the, you're the guy who's causing all this trouble in Israel. And so he, he, he takes himself at God's command and he follows God's word. Not every prophet did that. Can you think of a prophet who God said, go to this foreign land? And he said, no. Jonah. That was quick. Certainly Jonah. Elijah doesn't hesitate. Elijah is a man of faith and a man of obedience. This is not easy. But he goes there. He goes without food, without water, in a time where there is no food, and there is no water to a foreign land where he will not be welcome to the heart of Baal worship. And God tells him, you're going to go there. And I, want you, and I think it's worth noticing that God, but why does he particularly say in verse 9, when you get there, I have commanded a widow in that place to supply you with food. Why do we have to know she's a widow? Well, Generally, in this context, you know, a, a widow who had remained a widow would often be the poorest of the poor. Often the community would have to care for her. She is not remarried. She has no husband. And she has a family, we're going to see. 
And so he, he particularly sends him to a situation that is the most difficult. Nobody has food or water. He's going to the poorest person in town, maybe, particularly to this widow. And I want you to go to that widow in that place, and she will supply you with food. And so Elijah goes there. And he comes to the town gate, and he sees this widow. It, it could have been her dress. could have been something about her that indicated that, that this, is, this is the woman that he is supposed to see. Now, the story behind the story here. This is an indicator story. You know, we talk about in the economy uh, leading indicators. We talk about trailing indicators sometimes. But, you know, the economists look at leading indicators to, to try to ascertain what's going to happen in the future. Sometimes when we talk about uh, environmental things. We talk about certain animals, for example, that are going extinct. And they're called leading indicators. That if this animal goes extinct, it's an indication something's wrong in the environment, possibly. These are indicators. This is an indicator story. This story is pointing us ahead to what is going to happen and to the critical time of decision that Israel and the people of Israel are going to have to face. He is sent to this foreign land. This is not so much a story of faith outside of Israel as it is unfaithfulness within Israel. The challenge is going to be for Israel to return in faith. So he is sent away from Israel to a foreign land where there shouldn't be reception of God's word if there's no reception in God's own country where his own people are. And so we see Elijah gets there and he makes this rather bold request to this lady. First thing he says is in verse, verse 10, would, would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? Now, remember, he, the, the brook dried up where he was. There was no water in the brook. There is no water in Lebanon. Nobody has water, especially the poorest of the poor. You know, if, if you had the means, you could always buy your way out. But he says to this woman, could you get me a little water? He makes this request of her. And then he says, as she's going away, by the way, at the end of verse 11, would you please bring me a piece of bread? You know, Elijah is suffering with everybody else. Have you ever been in a situation where you had to beg somebody for water or bread? I never have. I'll be honest with you. I have never starved in my life. Anytime that I have um, gone hungry, it was probably either choice or illness or something like that. It's never been because I had no access to food. It's hard to relate to this. These people have no access to food or water. This lady is the poorest of the poor. She's trying to care for her family. And this foreigner from Israel comes and says, by the way, please give me some water. And could you give me a piece of bread? Well, a piece of bread is gold. And you'll see that, and I want you to notice her response. In verse 12. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread. Not only that, I only have a handful of flour, a handful of flour in a jar, and a little oil in a jug. This is it. This is all she has left. Handful of oil, 
a handful, handful of flour, a little bit of oil. And look what she says. I am gathering a few sticks and I'm doing this to make to go home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. This is it. They're starving to death. They are starving to death. And she is sure that they are going to die. And the food that she is going to make, this, this last supper, if you will, this last meal that they are going to have is not going to sustain them. It's only going to provide a bit of comfort so they can die. Can you imagine that? She, she, they're going to die. And, and, and here this, this person has the audacity to say, could you bring me a little bread? That's all she has is a little bread. And it's not going to sustain anybody. And they are going to die. You know what the irony of this is? Here's, here's Elijah asking her for this. Why are they all in this situation? Why are they all starving to death? Why is her son going to die? Why? Because of Elijah. He's the one who prayed that it wouldn't rain. And God answered that prayer. Again, from James. James chapter 5 where it tells us that Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed to God that it wouldn't rain. He says he prayed earnestly. He, he sweat in that prayer. He was agonizing that prayer. He begged God, don't let it rain. And God honored that prayer, although that course was part of God's sovereign will. We understand that. And it didn't rain. And because of that, this lady and her son are going to die. And Elijah has the audacity to ask her for the last piece of bread that she has. But look what Elijah says to her in verse 13. See, Elijah, she's going to have to depend on Elijah's word as the prophet, that this is God's word. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. You know, I, lo- I love that. I love that phrase. It, it is in the Bible from start to finish. What did the angels say? When, when, they, when they came to the shepherds, what's the first thing they said? Do not be afraid. To Mary, do not be afraid. To Zacharias, do not be afraid. To Joshua, do not be afraid. To Moses, to Abram. Throughout the Bible, throughout the Bible, to the Apostle Paul, when, 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 he, was, when he was in a situation where he was in desperate, God says, do not be afraid. Preach in Corinth. I, I will bring many people. Throughout the Bible, from start to finish, we see this, do not be afraid. Because what's the first thing that happens? You know, we're all humans. Elijah was a man just like us, it says. When, when you and I face difficulties and challenges in our life, whether it's what these people are facing, food and finances. Some of you have been there and maybe are there. Maybe it's relationships. Maybe it's health. I mentioned several people for prayer today, and we also give thanks that Terry Stellwagen is home, recovering strong, and I look forward to seeing her with us soon as well. We've mentioned many people this morning. Health, finances, relationships, you name it. These things come into our lives, and our first response often is fear, because it's the fear of what? The unknown. Once it's behind us, we're not so afraid of it, are we? Huh? 
once it's behind you time-wise and you've worked through it, you're moving on, you find out exactly what God said. Do not be afraid. But it's the fear of that unknown. I mean, I'll be the first to admit. And I think we all, every one of us have things in our lives today that we fear. And, and the word from, from God that I want, to, I want you to take home with you, one of the words today I want you to take home with you, from start to finish, do not be afraid. You don't have to be afraid. Why? Because God will take care of you. It's not going to just be solved like that. Uh, This situation, it's not going to rain for a while. But God will take care. God will. Do you believe that today? Has anybody here ever experienced that? You know, we hear these stories. Yeah, we hear these stories all the time. You know, in my life, I said, what? I remember one time my mom telling me this story years after my dad had died. I'd never heard this story that when my dad died and I was eight years old and I was the youngest in the family and we didn't, she didn't have anything. And, and uh, the guys at work at Fentron down in Ballard took a collection and gave her this paper bag full of money. And it was one of those crazy stories where she counted it out and to the penny it was what she needed for the utility bill she couldn't pay. You know, I never thought those things happened to my family. I was little, I was just having a good time, you know, and, and I didn't, you know. But, you know, I look back now and realize how she had to depend on God. Every one of us, whether it's finances, whether it's health, relationships, critical decisions. You might be afraid of a, you may have a big decision that you have to make. It could be job, it could be, you know, relationship, it could be a move. We're afraid. Do not be afraid. Amen? Amen. Do not be afraid. So Elijah says this lady who's about to die, and she's going to make one last, you know, Starbucks-sized roll, you know. (laughs) And that's it. And she's going to die. And Elijah says, don't be afraid. Go home, verse 13, do as you have said. But first... So go home and do as you've said. Go home and die. I mean, you know, go home and make your meal and fine. But before you do, before you do, make first a small cake of bread, which is all she has, for me, from what you have. Bring it to me and then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, the God of Israel. He is in Sidon, up in Lebanon. The God of Israel says, The jar of flour will not be used up. The jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord gives rain on the land. Listen, friends, it's decision time. It's decision time. This lady has to make a choice. Am I going to believe this prophet of Yahweh from Israel? And am I going to go home, cook him a meal, and give it to him and let him consume it while me and my son die without anything to eat? Am I going to do that? Or am I going to trust the word of the Lord? You see, it's the word of the prophet, but it's the word of the Lord. Am I going to trust the word of the Lord? And am I going to do what he says? And am I going to believe against all possible? This is a miracle. There is no physical, scientific possibility that this could take place. 
that flower and that oil is not going to reproduce. It is not going to appear every day in that jar and in that jug. It's not going to happen apart from the hand of God. She has to make a decision. She has to. It's the, this, listen, friends, this is the story behind the story of Elijah and Elisha here. It is going to be decision time. And at some point, you have to make a decision. And she has to decide. There's not, it's not halfway. She doesn't say, I'll make you half a Starbucks roll, you know, and I'll eat the other half. She has to decide. It's amazing that God puts in her heart, I, I believe. I believe God has put in her heart the faith that she evidences to do what Elijah says. God already told Elijah, you go there, you find this woman, she'll take care of you. God had to put it in her heart, this widow. But she had to respond. And she did. And she did it. She made the choice. And this is the irony of this, friends. I want you to remember this story as we move ahead and see what Israel does not do. This is the irony. This lady up in Lebanon, outside the camp of Israel, she does what God says to do. She does it. She went away. And she did as Elijah had told her. And there was food every day for Elijah and the woman and her family. So Elijah stayed with her. And every day there was enough flour and there was enough oil every day. For the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. Does this remind you of any other Old Testament story of people being fed? Manna. Every day. Remember the story of manna? It's a wonderful story. Every day, God would put the manna on the ground. We don't really know what it was. It's some of, it was, I think it says somewhere it's like coriander seed. That really is helpful, isn't it? <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> the manna was on the ground. They gathered it up. They baked it. And I'm sure we're very creative. And, you know, how many things can you make out of manna? You know, how many ways? For 40 years? 40 years? But the catch was what? At the end of the day, what were you not allowed to do? You couldn't store it except for the Sabbath. Because God didn't work on the Sabbath. The manna, you had to collect enough for two days, the day before the Sabbath. But for, Sab for other than the Sabbath, if you tried to cheat and collect enough for the next day because you were afraid God might forget the next day, what happened to it? Spoiled. It was a tremendous lesson of faith for God's people. It was day to day. The Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our what? Daily bread. Some of you read daily bread, right? I know that's true. <laughs> daily bread. is that wonderful picture, that old painting, uh, that man sitting there praying over his loaf of bread, right? Uh, I, I've seen that in some of your homes. Um, daily bread. And, you know, we, we, we run up against this tension in our life, don't we? You know, we, we are called to be responsible, 
The Bible says if a person won't take care of his own family, he's worse than a than, a, than an infidel. We are responsible to, to plan and to prepare. Um, you know, our ministry here, this ministry that goes on week after week, uh, is supported by many people in this church who, who, who are retired. But they made plans and they're able to continue to give to God's work. So, you know, we, we live in this kind of tension between having to make plans, prepare, be reasonable, but we also have to live by faith. We have to live by faith. We, you know, there is no certainty. You make all the plans and preparations. You know, this lady was doing the right thing. She had saved enough. She had kept it. She had used it. I'm sure every day she partitioned out what was left, what was left, what was left. She didn't gobble it all up in one day. She made plans. But there came a day where it was not going to be there. And, you know, we find ourselves in that situation. We find ourselves in that situation that, that, that we have to be prepared, but we have to depend on God. And she did it. She believed. And from that point on, every day, God provided every day enough flour and oil and drink for that day. And it sustained them and Elijah so he could continue to that climactic confrontation with the prophets of Baal and Ashtoreth at Mount Carmel. And so I want you to take this home too. It's another story that runs throughout the scripture. God will provide what his people need. When Jacob was sent to a foreign land and had to leave and run for his life, when he comes back, when he sees that, on the way, when he sees that, that vision of the stairway to heaven, if you will, you know, the angels going up and down, and at Bethel there, he builds that altar, and he, and he, and he makes a vow to God, and he says, God, if, if, you bring, if you bring me back, and you provide clothes and food, you will be my God. I will worship you. That's all I ask, clothes and food, and God did it. He came back with a lot more, <laughs> but that's all he asked. And throughout the scriptures, you'll see how God provides the Lord Jesus Christ on the, on the Sermon on the Mount. It was so, it's so beautifully. Consider the lilies of the field. They neither toil nor spin not. Yet God clothes them. The birds of the air, they do not soak, soak away for the future. They are every day, but God feeds them. And they are working hard. Go watch the birds. They're not sleeping all day. They're working hard all day trying to feed their families. But God provides. How much more you, all you of little faith, if God knows how to take care of the birds and the flowers, how much more you? The Apostle Paul, my God, what? Shall supply all your need. That's why we don't, we don't preach the prosperity gospel here. It doesn't say all your wants, but God will provide all you need. It, it's true, isn't it? Some of you are a little older here than some of us. Some of us are a little older than some of you. <laughs> but for those of you that have lived the longest, Anna, you're going to be 100 this year, right? Has God ever not provided? Has God ever not provided for you? No, God's always taken care. Does no eye, eye issues now working through. Is God taking care? God's taking care. 
Peggy's having surgery tomorrow. God taking care of Peggy? God's taking care. Listen, God, Bethany got a new job this week, right? Did God provide that job? Yes. God will provide all you need. From start to finish, the book of Revelation is that story of the dragon trying to consume the woman and her child, which is, which is the, the remnant of Israel, the believing remnant. And it says they go out to the wilderness. And it even gives you the number of days they're out there. And it says God nourishes them, even in tribulation. So I want you to take home today, friends. Do not be afraid. It's easier said than done. I know. I know. But I'm still, it's my job to preach it. God will provide. God will provide. God will take care of you. And in closing, there's kind of a story within a story here. If if you don't mind, just give me a couple minutes. Could you go to Luke chapter 4? We'll continue next week with Elijah. But there's sort of a story within a story here. Uh, This lady actually is quite famous. Um, And that's because we come to the Gospel of Luke. I want to remind you that Luke is a... Luke and Acts are a two-volume set. Luke wrote Luke and Luke wrote Acts. And a couple of weeks ago, Phil Long, when he was here for camp, spoke at the very, from the very end of the book of Acts, 28, 28. And God said, and, 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 and Paul preached to his fellow Jews and said, I, I've given you the word. You refuse it. From, from now on, I'm going to the Gentiles and they are going to listen. It's the third time. Remember, Phil preached on that. That's the end of Luke's two-volume chronicle. The beginning of it is the Gospel of Luke. And this is, of course, our, our wonderful Christmas messages from Luke. We have the, the John the Baptist story in chapter 3. We got chapter 4, the temptation of, of, of Jesus Christ. And then we come to verse 16. Now, Jesus had a hometown. My hometown is Seattle. Uh, this is my home. Jesus had a hometown. What was it? Nazareth. He wasn't from Bethlehem. He was born in Bethlehem. But he grew up in Nazareth. His family, his brothers and sisters, and we know that from John. John tells the story. His brothers and sisters, his family lived there. His dad was a carpenter. He worked in his father's shop. You know, we don't really know all the details, but most likely, given the social and cultural situation, he was a carpenter. He worked with his dad. He was the carpenter's son. He made furniture for people. There were people all over Nazareth who had things Joseph and Jesus made for them. This was his home. There were people there he grew up with, he played with, he went to school with, you know, the way he went to school, the way he was taught. He went to the synagogue with. There was his people, his town, his his family, his relatives, his cousins. This was his home. And it says here he went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom. He stood up to read. That's because in the synagogue, just every, every Saturday in the synagogue or Friday night, there is a portion of scripture that is assigned for that day. It goes throughout the year. And he comes in this day and he, and he was given the scroll because he's, he's getting notoriety. His name is spreading. And, and, he, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. 
He unrolled it. He found the place where it is written. I think it was the daily reading. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to preach the gospel, good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord. Now, what he didn't read was the next phrase that says, and also the coming terrible day of vengeance of the Lord, the coming tribulation. He didn't read that part because that wasn't going to be fulfilled in his first advent. But in his first advent, he is basically saying, look what he says, he rolled the scroll, he gave it back to the tenant, he sat down to make his commentary, to preach his sermon. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fixed on him, quietly, Not a, you couldn't hear a sound, not an iPod beeping for an alarm or anything, <laughs> nothing. And he said, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. What is he saying? This is a messianic scripture. I am here. It's decision time. It's decision time. Are you going to believe it or not? It is fulfilled in your hearing. They all spoke well of him and were amazed at his gracious words that came from his lips. But they said, isn't this Joseph's son? They asked. His brother's probably sitting there thinking, this is... My brother, this is the Messiah, right? I mean, how many of you, you know, Rory, you know, Aiden's the Messiah, right? You know, right? I mean, you know, it's his brother, his cousins, his friends. What? What is he saying? And Jesus says to them, surely you will quote this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself. Do here in your hometown what we have heard you did in Capernaum. I tell you the truth, he said. No prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you, there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time. When the sky was shut for three and a half years, there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. Why is he saying that? Why is he quoting that? He says, listen, you know the story of Elijah. There were widows in Elijah. They were starving to death too. But Elijah was sent outside of Israel. Then he talks about the story of Elisha with the cleansing of Naaman. Why is he saying this? What's his point? Listen, this is an indicator story. Luke's chronology here begins with the offer of the Messiah to Israel. It's going to end at the end of the book of Acts with the rejection of the offer completely and Paul being sent to the Gentile world. Look at their response. I mean, what is it? What is in his statement that caused this response? All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up They grabbed him, his hometown. These are his people. Why didn't his brother step in and do something? Because they didn't believe in him either. John tells us that. They they took him. They drove him out of town. They took him to the brow of a hill on which the town was built in order to throw him down the cliff. I mean, think of this. I know you've read this before, but think of this. What was so inflammatory in that statement about Elijah and the widow that his own people, 
were so enraged that they're just going to kill him. And they take him and they drive him out and they say, we're going to throw you over this cliff and kill you. How dare you say that? Because they know what he is saying. He is saying it's decision time. And just like in Elijah's day, you're not going to believe. You're not going to believe God's word. And they're going to kill him. But it's not time. And without any more detail, how he did this. Somebody make a movie of this. (laughs) He just walked right through the crowd and left. When they grabbed him, took him to the cliff and threw him off, and he turned and walked through the crowd, and the crowd parted, left. No one could touch him. God protected him, and, and, and he left. And as far as Luke's concerned, he never comes back to his hometown again. It was decision time. It was decision time. And they knew exactly what he was saying. How dare you? How dare you demand that kind of decision from us? And I want to close today with this thought. Part of the gospel preaching and teaching that that we are committed to is decision. We live in an era, in a Christian era, where more and more we are being tempted and asked to preach an accommodating message. It's a syncretism. You know, there are many gods. There are many, oh, that's nice for you. That's fine for you if you believe. Well, that's nice your son's a pastor. (laughs) No, that's nice that you go to church. But you can't impose that upon me. No, we can't. But, listen, friends, as a church, as pastors and teachers, as those who are responsible to bring God's word, we must never back away from the fact the gospel demands a response and a decision. Because there is finality. There is eternal hell and separation from God, and there is heaven. You can't have both. You can't do one and then the other. And I just want to encourage us today that as we share God's word in a loving and kind way, in a compassionate way as our Lord did, as the apostles did, that we don't leave out, that we never leave out, there is a decision to be made. He never came back to Nazareth. There is an end. There is a finality. There does come a time when you cannot put it off any longer because it's too late. And as we leave this morning, if if you're here today and maybe maybe you are visiting, you're new, maybe you've been here a long time, maybe you've been raised here, if there's the possibility that, that you're here today and... And you just think, it, you know, you got time somewhere down the road to make that decision. You, you may and you probably will, but you may not. You may not. And when is the end? It's the end. It demands a decision. And if you've heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, that God loves you so much that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and paid for your sins, 
that he offers you forgiveness for sins, but you have to make that decision. That lady made the decision. I'm either going to eat this food or I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to give it up. I'm going to give it to the prophet and I'm going to trust God's word. And she did. And I'm asking you today, if you're here today, I don't care how many times you've heard this message, if you're still putting it off, um, Jesus never came back to Nazareth. There will come a time. Receive the gospel of forgiveness for sins. Receive eternal life. Receive Christ as your Savior. And as we preach and teach God's word, please, let's not get to the point where we, we bring it all the way up to that and then back away because we don't want to offend anybody with the truth of the gospel. He never came back to Nazareth. They knew what he was saying. There is a decision to be made. God will take care of you. Do not fear. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. I knew when I was up there in that ladder, I knew I could trust Bill. I was just fun to ask him the question. Because <laughs> I know Bill. I know I could trust him. And I know God. And I know my Lord Jesus Christ. And I just want you to know, friends, you can trust him. You can trust him. Francis, you know about that. She lost her, her daughter this, this past summer. And we prayed for Francis. Her daughter went home be with the Lord. We've been praying for Francis. So many of you, this last month, you know what I'm talking about. You know. You know exactly what I'm talking about. And you can all know that. Let's trust. Let's not be afraid. And let's never back off of sharing the truth of the gospel. Heavenly Father, Thank you so much for this congregation, these people, this family, and those who are visiting with us today, Lord. We are a family together. We know Christ is Savior. We are part of your family. And I thank you for their desire to worship, to hear your word, and, Lord, to, to serve you. It's their desire this week. And, God, whatever comes our way this week, we know there's going to be challenges. We know there's going to be wonderful and happy times and there's going to be difficult times. There's going to be big decisions. Lord, I just pray that for me and the pastors and leaders of this church, for every participant, that we would not be afraid, we would trust you, and we would hold out the gospel of salvation. And I pray today, Lord, if there's a person here that you're opening their heart to the gospel and this is the day that they would respond and receive Christ as their Savior and receive eternal life and eternal hope because of how much you love them. We pray this in Christ our Savior's name today. Amen.